Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Today, though, we, uh, we're in this series called Money and Peace. We're six weeks into this thing now and looking at this from a lot of different perspectives because money does not often bring peace, right? The world that we live in, the culture that we're a part of, this usually brings a lot of anxiety. This usually brings a lot of fear and trepidation, and a lot of people feel like they're not good with finances. They feel like they're not sure of finances. And everything that we have in our culture tells us just like keep spending more and just buying more. Uh, because the reality is this. When it comes to this world, when it comes to the life that we live in this world, there is going to absolutely be hardship. Absolutely be hardship. I mean, like we saw uh, at the beginning, when we prayed for Turkey and Syria. I mean, that is like unbelievable hardship. In the New Testament, though, with Jesus Christ, the, the exact, literally the exact same scenario gets brought to Jesus. He's out talking and he's doing ministry. He's telling people about the gospel and about the good news and all this. And then people come up and they say, well, hey, what about this, that, and the other? What about all these bad things that are happening? What about, you know, the, this tower that fell on these people? And Jesus gives that as an example. And he said, look, here's the deal. Bad, tragic, horrific things are going to happen. So the, the issue that Jesus is dealing with is that there was this collapse of this tower, this structure, and all these people died. And here's how he answers this. Here's how Jesus Christ poses an answer to a very difficult question. He says, look, these things are going to happen. The question is, are you ready for when it happens to you? And that's a really hard question to pose back to somebody. Because essentially what he's saying is, we're all going to die. We're all going to have tragedy visit us in our lives. It happened to Jesus himself. Because, of course, if you, within a Christian context, who's Jesus? Well, he's God, come to earth. And if that person didn't even avoid hardship and difficulty and unfairness, are we going to? Absolutely not. So Jesus' question to that is, like, are you going to be ready for that? And here's also the interesting thing about uh, a, a Christian community. You know, I know not everybody here is a Christian. I get that. Not everybody watching is a Christian. I understand that. But what is it that we are supposed to look like? Who is it that the people of Jesus are supposed to be? Well, given that there's going to be difficulty, right? Given that there's hardship in the Old Testament. So before Jesus, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, what are you people supposed to be like? Well, you're supposed to be generous. You're supposed to take care of the poor that are among you, the needy that are among you. It's your responsibility to reflect the love and care of God through your generosity of these people. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And here's what Jesus says himself. He says, look, you will always have the poor. Why? Because life is going to continue to always and forever be unfair. There's going to be the haves and the haves-nots, people, in this life. And Jesus says we need to be aware of that. And we need to, because of that, as followers of Jesus, what does he say? If you are a follower of Jesus or if you're curious what a Christian should look like, that's a very, very generous-looking person according to Jesus. That's somebody that lives a certain way so that they can have financial peace and so that they aren't always chasing everything that's available to them. They're able to step back and say, no, no, I'm good with what I need and I get to enjoy some extras, but I've got some room in my budget where I can just be like ridiculously like generous to people. Because here's the two sides of the coin. 
The old saying goes, give a man a fish and what? Feed him for a day. But if you teach him to fish, what? You feed him for life. Now, here's the danger with that saying, though. What we can do with that saying is we neglect feeding a man for a day. We think that that's somehow not important. But a follower of Jesus is going to say, no, both are important. Sometimes, man, I just need to say, hey, I've got a hundred bucks and I can just, I can take care of this person. I can pay that bill. I can do that because I can meet an immediate need. However, Christian community will also say, but I'm going to take the wisdom of God and I'm going to help this person understand how to feed themselves, how to live within means, how to do money God's way so that they can have peace and so that they can be generous. That's called discipleship. That's me being a disciple, taking what I've learned from Jesus and passing that on to somebody else. That's what we get to be called to if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not, that's what the community of Jesus should look like. So there's the both and because they're both real needs. Now, I'm not saying because there's some cynical people that might be listening to me and like, well, if you just start paying bills for people, they're just going to be moochers. I'm like, first of all, stop that. That's not what I'm talking about. Because also in the New Testament, Paul addresses that kind of mindset. And I think it's Second Thessalonians. He says, look, if you're not willing to work, you don't get to eat. So there's a hard line that he draws there. There's one thing to be needy and to be maybe uh, like have some kind of like physical or mental need or like some kind of um, ailment or something that prevents you or there's hard times or hardship. There's a million different things. It's a whole different thing to say, I'm just going to be lazy and I'm going to try to find Christian community and be a mooch off of them. That's not what we're talking about this morning, right? And so our hearts need to be a little softer than that because there are real needs. Because what I've got to see in our church, what's cool about being a pastor is I see a lot of difficulty, of course, but I'm not a judge, so I get to see good things as well, right? I don't know how judges do it. But from my perspective, I get to be somebody that hears these cool stories like this. So recently we had somebody that, we had um, two people that are in a relationship. And when the relationship started out, they weren't quite sure. One person wasn't quite sure about the other. And it was like, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. And then over the course of months, slowly getting to know one another, slowly being in relationship, God bought them from, I'm not really sure about this person. And, and I, don't, I don't know what this even looks like and to be in relationship with this person to just recently saying, hey, there's a very felt need. And I'm going to just out of my own pocket, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to find a way to do that. And I've had several different stories of somebody being moved by the generosity of God during this series to say, you know, I've got an issue. Or I've got a problem with this person. And then God, in his kindness and in goodness to them, presents them with that very same person as an opportunity to be generous too. And I love seeing that. That's like the hand of God being like, okay, we're going to move people further along the discipleship spectrum to say, this is maybe where you start with people or your view of people, because that's sometimes what it is, um, to saying, you know, know what? I can, I can feed this person with a fish. And then I can come alongside them and I can show them the wisdom of God and I can be in their life and do discipleship and life together. Because that's what Christian community should be. It's the both and, feeding and then teaching how to fish. And that's what we see in the New Testament. And that's kind of what we're looking at during the series, but also especially today. Because I do believe that with money and peace, God really does want us to have that. Because the question that we've been thinking about wrestling with each week is what would it feel like, what would it look like to have financial peace for you? Or maybe somebody in your life. Like how could you pass that along to somebody else and say, hey man, I've been learning some things. Somebody came up to me right after first service and they said, man, like I've got this coworker that's like taking money out of his 401k to buy a new car. And, to like, and then he's like shifting debts and he's getting a home equity line and he's like trying to do all this juggling of money to try to buy things and do all this stuff. And he's like, and he's like in a mess right now. He's like really headed for financial crisis. And he's like, I'm going to send today's message to him. I'm going to send this series to him because like 
like this guy needs some help and I, and I don't know what to tell him. And that's what that looks like. We get to pass these things on to people. Like these, these truths from Scripture that God says, here, here's how to do this a better way. Because every week we've kind of addressed this next question as well. What's normal in our society? Debt and overspending. Those two are pretty normal in our society. We buy cars we can't afford. We live in houses we can't afford. We go on vacations we can't afford, but they have some awesome pictures that we can throw up on social, right? And that's always good. <laughs> you know, or we go out, we nickel and dime ourselves by going out to get coffee every day. Some people are like, shut your filthy mouth, Kyle. <laughs> or what? What I get myself in trouble with, I, I constantly find myself wanting to talk myself and others into going out to eat and others being my family. And they're like, oh, my kids, of course, they're always going to buy into that idea every time, right? Because it's like, I, that's, that's one of my things I got to be careful with. But what is normal? There's like the big purchases, but it's also nickel and diamond ourselves to death, buying little things that we don't need. And so that, that I guess, is the context we want to think about as we step into this, um, because we get to not be normal. That's where the peace of God comes from, is not being normal, not leaning into what we see happening all around us and people just making decisions that are bringing all kind of catastrophe, all kind of anxiety and stress into their lives. And that's not the goodness of God. That is not the goodness of God. Because one verse, I'm going to give like two Proverbs uh, to start off with. So one you're going to hear a lot if you're in Financial Peace University with us is this one right here out of Proverbs 22. Dave Ramsey's a big fan of this one. The borrower is slave to the lender. And it was cool because I just got to talk to somebody Friday night and they were telling me how God has been doing all these things in her heart to be able to see the truth of this and say, I don't want to be a slave anymore. Like my whole life, I've just kind of always lived like this and it's just been how it is. And she said, and now I'm realizing it doesn't have to be that way. There is a different way and it is really like realigning around my life around Jesus and his teachings and not what I'm getting from the world, Right. So next, where we're going to be and where we have been, this proverb from Proverbs 29, without revelation, people run wild. And that's what we're seeing with spending. Like we are out of control in America with spending, but one who follows divine instruction is going to be what? Happy, right? So this is not God's primary goal for you. It's like not like he just wants you to be happy and that's it, but it's not like he doesn't want you to be happy either. And our finances are a big part of that because I know talking to people in this church that's why I did this series, because talking to people here, talking to people I know in town, it was like, this is a big issue for people. And knowing that a lot of people, like a lot of our small groups for Financial Peace University filled up really quickly, that to me says, okay, this is something we needed to do. In the future, this is an outreach thing that we'd like to do. Eventually, we'd like to get to the point with these classes where we could put something in town pages and say, hey, uh, are you having some anxiety around money? Are you having issues? Do you need some help with money? come to this one day free seminar and, and we'll, we'll introduce you to financial peace and then we can start groups of people that don't know Jesus, like don't know the wisdom of God and we can say, hey, let us introduce you to that kind of stuff because that's what followers of Jesus should do. We should, we should be using our resources to bless other people and point them to Jesus, right? Right. Okay, so wait, good. All right, so that's what we should be doing. That's who we are. However, I realize even though we're all these weeks into this series that finances can still seem very daunting. Finances can seem, for some people, very terrifying. Um, there was somebody I talked to, two different people I've talked to, and they said when they first did a budget, it made them want to throw up. Not because of how nervous they were, but when they finally sat down and they looked at where every penny was going, they were just like, oh my gosh, we are just flushing money down the drain every single month. Because that's what a budget does. It makes you be honest about those kinds of things, right? You can't keep telling yourself, like, no, we'll probably be okay. 
Like, you can't say that with a budget, right? You have to actually be able to look at the numbers. And so that can seem very daunting. But here's a couple of things I want to share with you. One, a quote um, from a guy that if you're into trying to make better habits, there's this guy, James Clear. Uh, he does a lot of stuff around habits and, like, building better structures in your life. There's this quote from him about approaching finances and, and life in general. Every action you take is a vote toward the person that you will eventually become. Every single action. And the votes add up. It's not just one thing. So keeping this in mind, because that's really what finances is, is building better habits. And it's understanding that you're going to mess up every now and then. right? You will mess up every now and then. But it's the idea, though, that I'm going to be mindful of all the steps, not just one of them, so that I can find financial peace and not live in shame when I don't make a good choice. I showed this next picture here a couple weeks ago. And the one on the left, of course, is what we want to think about with this kind of stuff, like getting our financial house in order so that we don't have to be so stressed out and we can be generous is like the ladder on the left. It's one ladder rung at a time. But unfortunately, again, we live in a culture that wants immediate success, wants immediate whatever on the right. So we see videos on Instagram. We see TikTok. We see YouTube. And people are like, oh, man, I got, I'm out here hustling and grinding. You know, I got this new plan and they got the phone right in front of their face. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're just like me, man. You just figured this out. No, he's trying to make money off of you. Right. Because he's a, he's got sponsorships and he's trying to get clicks. Right. And there's not just like, oh, this one interesting thing, this one crazy thing. It's like, no, it's not one crazy thing. It's a million small little disciplined things is what it is. But we're not into slow and small, are we? We're into I want it now. I want everything to be like Burger King and have it my way. Right. That's the world that we live in. And meantime, we're trying to get that, and we're on the right, thinking this will never happen. This will never happen. And we're trying to make all these big things happen, and we just can't reach the wrong. And it's like God's like, look, there's like, a, there's like a step right here. And you're like, I know, God, but look at this. And slow and steady, slow and steady, being faithful, not trying to reach for everything out there is kind of what this is all about. And some of the principles that we've tucked into these ideas. So here we are several weeks into this. So what have we covered so far, if you've missed? First, from a perspective, again, I know not everybody's following Jesus here, but the money isn't ours. It's a big principle. We're just managing it. So if I'm able to look at everything I have in my life as a gift from God, I tend to treat it differently, right? Like if one of you, if any one of you lent me a thousand dollars and said, Kyle, can you take care of this and manage it well? I wouldn't want to turn right around and be like, sick, I can go get a gun. Or I can go get an ATV or I can go get, you know, whatever. You know, I can go get a ring for Brittany. There we go. Right. Yes. <laughs> Right. Because I'm generous and I just do that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, so it's like looking at my money is not my money. It's, a, it's great for my heart because I say, Lord, I want to manage it well. I want to be faithful with it. I don't want to be stupid with it. I want to be generous with it. And I want to be wise with it. Right. That's a, that's a great starting point. And then it also lets me think that everything I've had in the past is a gift from God. Therefore, if he's been taking care of me, he's going to take care of me. I know that. And that's a principle Brittany and I live by, right? And number two, uh, we looked at wisdom and community are key, right? Being in, like, in like wise community is a super healthy thing. Being in a place where you can ask questions and like lean into other people, super, super important because there's a lot of garbage information out there. Number three, we looked at you're more than your possessions. This is a tough one, right? We feel very defined by our possessions, our cars, our houses, our clothes, like all these things. We feel very, very defined by them, particularly when you're younger, right? And if you lost everything, as many people you see just catastrophes happening around the world, what if you were one of those people and you lost everything? Who would you be then? What would really matter to you then? You know, like that's a great question to ask because we 
are forced into this, that, that we feel this from every direction, right? And then uh, we looked at last week, Jesus talking money. So I looked specifically at Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, about what Jesus has to say about this kind of stuff. And really it's about, it comes down to generosity again. It comes down to greed, it comes down to worry and trust and fear and all these things. And are you living in a way that you're just constantly fearful about how you're going to pay the next bill? Right? Where your food's going to come from? How are you going to pay rent? How are you going to pay the mortgage this month? How are you going to pay the gas bill this month? All these kind of things. And Jesus just speaks heavily into that. So if you didn't hear that one, go to that, that sermon from last week. It's, it's really, really good. Not because I preached it, but because of what Jesus says, just to be <laughs> clear. And then uh, this week is this question right here. So our principle this week is kind of a question. Is money the root of all evil? Because this is a very popular saying. Money is the root of all evil. So we're going to address that idea today. Because is money, here's another question. Is money good or bad? It's neither, right? Just like this music stand is neither good or bad. But if I just start chucking it out into the audience, all of a sudden it becomes a bad thing, doesn't it? Right? But if Brittany's using it up here to lead worship, oh man, yeah, that's cool. It's a useful tool. But money is like that. So we're going to address this and a lot of other ways of thinking that uh, have kind of been dumped on us and see by the time we get to the end of the passage today, what Paul says about that, what the Apostle Paul says in, in his wisdom to, the, to young Timothy. So is, the, is money, in fact, the root of all evil? So today, to address that, that, that verse that people often misquote is, is taken out of First Timothy chapter 6. So a quick note on 1 Timothy chapter 6 and contentment is where we're going to be. This passage right here is, uh, is in a letter, 1 Timothy. Now, if you're not aware of what's going on here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a, a mentoring pastor of the younger pastors, church planter, wrote a majority of the New Testament, wrote a bunch of the New Testament, but... 1 Timothy is one of three pastoral letters that he's writing to young pastors that he's trying to help lead their churches. So it's a very personal letter with very real implications in real world um, settings, even for us here as we sit here together, because he's trying to write this, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and then later to another pastor, Titus, writes these three letters, hey, here's how you do church. Christianity is growing, and there's more people growing in, in, in like the a part of the churches. So how do you lead these people? And here's what that looks like. Here's some issues that are going to come up and that are, are coming up in your churches. Let me help you with them so that you can lead with integrity and lead in a godly way. So these are very personal letters that address real-world issues. And our theme this year, remember, is gospel in real life. So how does Scripture apply to change and ultimately bless your life. So we're going to see that in this passage here today. So jumping into 1 Timothy 6.3. Right here, first thing to understand here is this begins an if-then statement. And don't miss this. Like, don't miss this. I know it's easy sometimes to just kind of like hear scripture or hear what I'm saying, but this is an if-then statement in verses 3 and 4 that sets the tone for everything else that we're going to talk about this morning. So it's important to understand this relationship that Paul talks about because he continues to bring us back to it. And, and trying to get us to understand how this affects everything else that's super real world to us today in 2023. It's 2,000 years old, but not much has changed with us because this finances, money, all these things, greed, are they're just a part of who we are as people, right? It's, and so that's why I love scripture. It just, it's so honest. Even though they're talking about goats and sheeps sometimes, it's still very honest. It's still very real for us today. So, verse 3 our if-then statement. So if anyone teaches a false doctrine 
and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he's going to be talking about finances. So think about Matthew 6 from last week where Jesus is addressing these issues of worry and fear and generosity, things like that. So if anyone would reject that, not to mention the gospel and everything else that Jesus taught, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, and here's the then statement, then he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest. Literally, the Greek word there is he's diseased with disputes and arguments over words. So here's what's the important part. There's these false teachers that are like kind of sneaking into the church and they're teaching false bad doctrine that's going against the teaching of Jesus. And so you have people that are coming in and what is happening is there's this complete lack of humility that comes out of them rejecting the words of Jesus. And now disputes and arguments over words are starting to come up and they're starting to be an issue for the people in this church that Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus. So what happens when you begin to do that? When you reject Jesus' words and embrace greed and a total lack of humility, what happens? Well, you've got a few things. You've got envy. You've got quarreling. You've got slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. So again, he's going to be talking about finances. Think about this. If we don't have financial peace, how quickly does envy sneak into the picture for us? Why don't I have that? Why can't I afford that? Rather than looking at all the goodness in my life, I'm just envious. But think about all the marriages that are under such strain and then eventually break under the fighting, the quarreling that happens around finances. I mean, this causes a huge amount of fighting in marriages. And then you have slander and evil suspicion. So think now about work. I'm going to start spreading a little gossip about one of my coworkers that might get that promotion instead of me. Or maybe they did get the promotion, so now I need to start sowing seeds of discontent and, and other kind of ugliness around that person because they got the money that should have been mine. And so all these things that can come up in real world, but also things that are happening in this church. And so they're, what he says is here, these people, these kinds of people that do this kind of stuff are depraved and derived and deprived of the truth. So again, gospel in real life. Now here's the important, this next one. So all these people, these people that reject Jesus' teaching and embrace greed, what ultimately happens? What kind of people are these? Go to the next slide, this verse here. They imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So just to be clear this morning, if you ever hear a health and wealth gospel preacher, as in God wants you to be rich kind of a preacher, you can know that 1 Timothy 6 specifically says that kind of a person is a false teacher. There's lots of preachers out there that are like driving Ferraris and like wearing designer clothes and like telling you to send in all your money because if you do, God's just going to pour out his blessing. He's going to send you all this money. He's going to make you rich because they're teaching a false gospel that says if you pursue godliness, he's just going to dump material gain on you. That's a false gospel according to Paul. And it was dangerous then and it's dangerous today because godliness is not a path to material wealth. But some people preach that. And it's easy to get pulled into that. There's principles that if you follow godly principles, you'll be able to build well. But it's not just a guarantee. God's not some like genie in a bottle. Like if you rub it right way, he's going to be like, oh, I'll do whatever you want. I'll jump through all your hoops if you jump through all mine. Like that's not, that's not God. That's not how you gain material wealth is by manipulating him. And those that say that you can are teaching a false gospel. That's just greed. And I think when we see that, we need to be able to call that out. We need to see it and recognize it in other people, but we also need to see it in ourselves. Because that's a sin. Greed is sin. And if you see it in yourself, you need to call that out for what it is. 
and be real about sin and be honest about it. So now he's going to start talking again about these people. What are they like? What, what things happen? Because they want to push material gain as a reason to be godly. But what, here's what Paul says in verse 6. Godliness, the real path, the real connection, is that godliness leads to contentment. So godliness with contentment is great gain. Not, I do this to get wealth, but my godliness is just going to bring me contentment. And that's a, huge, that's a different way of thinking. Like, my relationship with Christ makes me feel content. That's why I pursue Christ, not so I can get rich, but so that I can find peace. Like, this is your financial peace, like, verse right here, in case you were wondering. If you want peace, it's like, pursue what God says. Keeping your eyes on Him is going to bring in your, your wants and needs and make it much, much smaller. Because here's what Paul says. Here's how we have to think about our, our goods and, the, and our wealth and the things that we have. Two verses. Verse 7. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out. Job would say, in a much more graphic way, I came into the world naked, and I'm going to leave the world naked as well. That's how Job put it, right? And so there's this idea that nothing we have it, it ultimately is going to matter. The people that I've known that are like way further along in their life journey or some people that are nearing the end of life, what's important to them? They're not like, oh, man, I'm really glad I spent all that money on that on, on coffee and eating out over the years. And that just blesses me while I lay here and know the end is near. You know, they're not saying that kind of stuff. You know, oftentimes what we think about is the relationships that we have. Mature Christians I know, they look back and they have a lot of joy about the generosity, you know, the blessings of other people when I talk to them. It's like I can see that. They know they made an impact. They know they did things that had eternal weight to them. And it wasn't just all about them in their life. They can look back and they can see milestones of generosity in their life, which I think is awesome. And then he goes on and he says this as well. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. This is a, a, a dramatically different way of seeing life. And it was 2,000 years ago. Because notice he doesn't say we should be content with these. Like, that's not how, like, if you, if you put your faith in Christ, which means... I know, Jesus, that you died and rose again to pay for my sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. Lord Jesus, I know what you did and have accepted your gift of salvation. I, I accept that you went to the cross and died for my sin. And I want to put my faith and trust for eternal life in you. And I want you to be my Lord and Savior. What that does is that, like, that then gives him control of your life. That gives you eternity. That gives you freedom in this life. And it's like this principle right here. If we have enough, we're good to go. We're all set. So that's a different way, a different all set, right? I'm not, about, I'm not talking about like, a, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm all set. No, I'm not talking about that kind of all set. I'm talking like, no, 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 I, I don't actually need that, right? Because that's the question you want to ask yourself. Do I really need that? Or do I just really need other people to see that I have it? Or do I just need to have it? Do I actually need it really? You know, do I, that's, that's what this is talking about here. And that's where that godliness comes from, which I love. Because that is financial peace. But then, so here's our contrast again. Verses 3 and 4. You reject Christ's teaching just about, you know, with money and worry and fear and generosity and all that stuff. And you become greedy and then you start fighting over everything. You're preaching a false gospel that says, look, if you like follow God, he'll make you rich. So if you sink into that, it's going to be awful and there's going to be bad consequences for that. And then he says, but if you choose another way, if you choose the way of Christ, this is what it looks like. This is contentment. I don't, I don't always feel like I don't have. I celebrate the goodness of God in my life instead. And then he goes back to those people. But what if, what if you reject? Like, let's go back to that, Paul says. What if you reject? And that's where we get into the, 
money being the root of all evil kind of stuff. Because in verse 9, Paul says this, but to those who want to be rich, they're going to fall into temptation. It's a trap. Money and riches is a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires come with it, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's like Paul is writing to this guy, Timothy, who he loves, and he's like, Timothy, please, please, Timothy, for the love of God, would you please tell your people not to chase wealth because it is going to wreck some of them. It is going to destroy their lives. And I see that today, and I implore the same way. Quayball Church, please, for the love of God, don't chase after riches as if they're the only thing in life because you're going to waste your life chasing money and stuff. And Paul is just, again, this is coming from love. This is coming from don't be normal. And I would say today, 2023, let's stop being normal and chasing riches and letting that be our goal in life because, as Paul says, people are just destroying themselves doing it. They're destroying themselves doing it. You know, this is gospel. Again, this is gospel in real life. How does scripture apply to? How does it change? And how does it ultimately bless my life? Well, I don't need to live like that. That's for sure. I got a different perspective because of God's wisdom. And then here's where he gets into the verse that is often misquoted. So here it is. So verse 10, he says, for the what? The love of money or greed is what? A root of all kinds of evil. So some of you might have the root or different ways, but basically greed is just one path to all kinds of evil that's out there. But it's destructive. It's harmful. It's not Christ-like. It's not what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like, a Christian. Like, this is not what we should be shooting for. That's not what our eyes are on. But Paul is saying it's that love of money, that greed, that person he talked about in 3 and 4. When they do that, man, things really fall apart. And he says, not only that, second half of the verse, which is just as important as the first. And by craving these riches, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So this then was an order, uh, was an issue as it is today. So you have people leaving the faith and piercing themselves with many griefs. How many of you have ever pierced yourself with a grief over financial decisions that you've made? Yeah, I have. And you're like, there's a saying for it, buyer's remorse, right? It's such a normal thing that we had to come up with like an easy phrase to remember, like, oh, we have buyer's remorse, you know, and I was listening to a podcast just a couple days ago, and the woman calls in, got this house, finally fulfilled the dream of owning a home, and she was all freaked out because, oh, yeah, I have to maintain the house now. (laughs) And she didn't know where the money was going to come from, right? Like, all of her appliances went out. There was a leak in the roof, and it was like, and she called in in a total panic, like borderline tears, like she had thought she'd finally made it, and it was like, oh, nobody told me about all this other stuff I had to do, and she was panicking, and it was cool because they kind of talked her down, they're like, no, 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 like, where are you? Let's look at the numbers. Again, specifically, let's look at the numbers. You have enough to afford these things. You're going to be okay, but it's just like that panic initially of, oh my gosh, I never even thought about all that, and so that's where she was, was piercing herself with many griefs, uh, like to the tune of, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for her personally. But our decisions have an impact not just on us, but on those that we love. You know, we're not just piercing ourselves when we live in a greedy way and in a, like a grabby way, but we're also affecting lots of people in our lives. And that's also a very Christian thing to consider is how do my decisions affect other people? So, and kind of paraphrase on that one, here's what Paul's saying. If you love money and stuff, if you're greedy, it's going to wreck your heart. And it might even destroy your life. Um, that might very well happen. 
guy came up to me right after the first service and said, hey, man, I know this guy. He's, like, in all this trouble, and he's this and that and the other, and I don't know how to help him, and I need to point him in a direction of somewhere because he's already, you know, been bankrupt several times, and he's trying to do X, Y, and Z, and it's like, you know, man, how does that affect our families? How does that affect the people that we love? You know, as a Christian, I want to consider that in the way that I live with my money. And then he says this to Timothy. Again, somebody Paul very much loves in verse 11. But you, man or woman of God, if you're here listening and you're a woman, flee from these things. Don't be normal. Instead, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentle. Again, gentleness. And do not be normal is essentially what he's saying there. These things are not normal. These are outside the scope of just what we're normally feeling. And he says, so, Timothy, you as a man of God need to live these things first and foremost. Right? This is something very personal for me as a pastor to read these words because it's a reminder. I'm going to make mistakes uh, always, and most of the time I get to come up and share them with all you guys when I do, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make mistakes. However, it's a reminder for me. I've got to be living this stuff too. I've got to be taking steps just like you guys step. You know, like we all got to do this, but it's important for me as a leader to set an example. And that's what he's saying to somebody that he very much loves. And then he says in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. And it is a fight. It, I mean, it is like people are like literally trying to take your money from you, aren't they? Like they're like they're literally trying to steal your money. They're hiring high end people to figure out ways to make you feel like you need to spend your money. Like, right. There's like, the, oh, limited supply available. And then this, this, this is only going to go on this sale for like two more days. And all of a sudden we get all panicky and we're like, well, I mean, that's true. I mean, if I don't buy it now, it's going to probably go up a couple of dollars. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I got to do it. And there's only two left. It says right there's only two left. I got to get in the cart because if I don't, somebody out there's two. I mean, there's like millions of people out there and there's only two left. Are you kidding me? I got to be one of the two people. Right. And so they do these things, man, for all we know, they've got hundreds of millions in supply, but they're just like, well, I'll just tell them there's only two left and we get all panicky. And we feel like we got to buy it. President's Day sales are coming up next weekend, ladies and gentlemen. And there's going to be all of these sales going on. And we need to buy it. We got to get in on the deals because, man, they're going to go away forever. But the problem with sales is you can go broke saving all that money. <laughs> you know? You can go absolutely broke saving all that money. And it's like, wow, look at all the money I save. I'm like, I know, but you're like $20,000 in debt because of all the money that you saved. Right. And but there are always sales. There are always things out there. I know I've been like going down like uh, I can be in a clothing store, or a hardware store. I'm walking down the aisle and all of a sudden like a sale, a little tag catches my line. Oh, 70 percent off. I don't need it. But man, 70 percent. I can't pass by 70. And then if you see 80, forget it. I have to buy it. I don't care what it is. I got to get it right. That's how they want to make us feel. And it's just like, no, no, no. Fight the good fight. Don't be normal because everything is kind of pressing in, trying to take your money from you. And for those of you that stop at Duncan every day on the way to work, don't. <laughs> just going to look down while I'm saying that. So he says, take hold of the eternal life, which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on stuff. And then he says a message for us. Verse 17, instruct those of you who are rich in the present age, which we are. If you're not aware, we are rich in the present age. And he says, look, don't be arrogant. And then he keeps going. He says, or to set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Because we have seen that over the last hundred years. Wealth can come and go pretty quickly. But he says, keep your eyes on God instead, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Because if you're in Christian community, there's going to be need. There's going to be poverty. But it should be different. It should be different within the context of God's people. That's what this is supposed to look like. That's why he's able to say that so confidently. Because within that context, and even the community surrounding, 
Poverty should look a little different. Need should be a little less sharp because followers of Jesus are in that community. That's what Paul is talking about. That's, again, why he can be so competent. And so not only does he say that, but he says this is like the path that he wants us to be able to understand. So we don't want to do that. He's going to make us things that we can enjoy. And then verse 18, instruct them. So you, Quaybog Church, us in America, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. Next. Storing up treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the coming age. Invest in eternity, things that are going to last, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. You know, these are real issues that Paul's talking about here. That, to me, sounds a whole lot like a, a roadmap to financial peace. Reject greediness. Reject the idea that you always need more. Just, do I have the things that I need? Because then if I do, I'll be content. My godliness will lead me to contentment. Like, I don't need all that stuff. I can think and live differently. I don't have to always be wasting my money and trying to open up credit cards to pay off credit cards. And like, oh, that one's locked down, so i got to go get another one. And It's like, we don't need to live like that. You know, it's just like shrinking our, our needs down to what we actually do need for maybe just a time. Because God does give us things that we can enjoy. And I think that's a cool part of this is that he does want us to enjoy the things that we've given, we've been given. But here's the thing. I think that we can enjoy them better if we're not always worried about the next thing. You know, I really do. I think if we can look at what we have and see it as a blessing, we can enjoy it a lot more than if we're always worried about the next thing. So each week we, we end up our teaching on a, on a video from somebody in our church. And I'm showing this week John and Sarah Clark because I wanted us to see generational generosity. I want us to, all of us, I want all of us, especially if you've got kids, I want you to be able to understand what, it, what an impact that you can have on the next generation. Because last week we met Sarah's parents, Gary and Brenda Bissett. And they talked about the influence that their parents had on them. And then they did those things, and they wanted to pass them on to their children. So I wanted you to be able to see the benefit, the blessing of three generations now of saying, hey, let's do this this way. Not perfectly, because they've all said the mistakes that they made, but here is the impact of generational generosity and, and showing these things to your kids and trying to do it right in front of your kids. So I'm John Clark. And I'm Sarah Clark. And we've been going to Claybog for about 10 years together and married six and a half. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we both luckily have came from homes that had some really good financial principles taught to us. Um, as you saw last week, my parents, Gary and Brenda, uh, they... Um, you know, had their struggles, ups and downs through uh, their financial journey, but overall, like, they really instilled um, a lot of um, teaching on how to budget, our envelope system. I was doing that from when I was getting, you know, my $5 allowance. Um, so coming into our marriage, you know, John had, you had that um, mm -hmm. coming from your side in a little bit different ways, but once we got together, um, it was very easy for us to build a budget and finances have just been something we're able to talk about pretty easily so and our journey started when we were in college and we were both pursuing business degrees so the way that we approached money and the language we used around it was very similar because we were being taught the same things by the same professors so that allowed us to really get on the same page pretty quickly um, even coming into when we were just engaged and looking at like our simulated budgets for when we were going to be married 
So, my dad never called money a slave, but he always equated it to a tool. And when he was teaching me when I was around 15 about the way that he thought I should handle money when I became an adult, he always said a tool is really dangerous if used incorrectly. And the bigger the tool, the more powerful it is, the more it can hurt you. So, if you don't have a lot of money or you're not focusing on it a lot, it can still be a tool like a hammer, you'll whack your thumb. But if it's a big tool, it could be like a steamroller and it could completely crush your car, ruin your house, ruin your life. So if you're not careful, it's a tool that can do a lot of damage because money can be that powerful and it can ruin your life and it can ruin other people's lives. But if you're using it well, a tool properly applied can build your life, it can build things for other people, it can allow you to bless them. And so just keep that in mind. And it always stuck with me because it's such a visual example that let me really see what he was talking about. So that, that feels like it's in the same vein as that quote. So, for our financial journey, the biggest thing when we first got married was our student loans. We both graduated with some student debt, and combined, it was a pretty significant sum of money. And so, it was a major focal point for all of our discussions around money. And it got to the point where it was it was too much of a focal point. It was a stressor. It led to anxiety. It wasn't a healthy thing that was happening. And we didn't have true contentment because even though we were being diligent and we were being what we thought was smart with our money, we were so focused on that that we weren't really being generous the way we should have. We weren't enjoying the early years of our marriage with each other the same way that we could have because we were so locked in on that. And when we finally, about four years into being married, were able to really understand, oh, we can be diligent without being anxious. We can be content and be smart at the same time. And that was a huge moment for us. And um, we had a long conversation where it kind of crystallized and that was a major turning point for us to be able to start to work towards contentment instead of just well we're being diligent doing the right things and eventually we'll be content from that i hope <laughs> and through that process like kind of once we made those decisions like once you know like life happens and john lost his job so we were in a much tighter situation you know, luckily we had all these um this roadmap in place for our finances and we were able to get through it but through all of that one important thing that has never been a question in our financial journey is uh, tithing and you know we've just seen through John being unemployed and I had a moment of unemployment where like we tied tied through that and God blessed us like that's just something we have seen happen um, for us and we're just like so grateful for um, how God has blessed us through the bad the harder times and the good times yeah it's much harder to be appreciative of God's blessing when things are thin um, but his provision was definitely there and it's so obvious to see it was obvious to see at the time but in hindsight it just becomes so much more clear without the stress of the situation around it Um, so one final thought that I have is just like, you know, I, we're both of us have, we're really blessed with coming from backgrounds that had good financial influence and teaching in our lives. So, um, we've had those foundational, um, pieces, but I just want to encourage that like what Claybox offering through connect groups and financial peace university, like even if you didn't have that 
um, foundation growing up or if you're a young person and just you know want to get on the right track like this is your moment for um, building that foundation whether you're single married young old <laughs> like this is a great chance to just start fresh and start um, getting on a path of uh, financial stewardship and if you're married getting on that same page is so important the times that we have made bad financial decisions have been the times we weren't on the same page we rarely thanks to our upbringing had moments of ignorance it was more we weren't in lockstep and that caused the problem if you're single and you don't have somebody to be in lockstep with you have the church community instead that you can use to bounce ideas off of and look at decisions with and to form your plan with and that's something that you know even when i was an adult but we weren't married yet would have been a great resource to help me have an even better firmer foundation thanks guys good job So, uh, you know, the impact that we can have on others is really, really important. And so a couple notes on that. Uh, so if you're not already part of a connect group, again, this is how, do, how are we able to do this? This is not a, a cheap thing to do, but we approach some people that I know are generous in our church. And I say, hey, would you be a part of making this available for others? And so we have some very generous people just step up and pay for this so that we can give this away for free, right? Because that's what generosity looks like. Like, hey, hey, let's invest in the body of Christ so that people don't have to worry about that that first hiccup of like, you know, I can't afford that. I'd love to do that, but man, that's pricey. Let's just remove that so that we can we can introduce people to this kind of stuff. So if you're not a part of one yet, we do have the QR codes over there. There's still some spots available. You can go and check it out because this is something we want to give away. Like this is something that we want to do uh, together because this is uh, this can be very this has the opportunity to be very life-changing for some of us, which I'm really excited to hear about. Uh, the second thing, if you're like, you know, like, what, what, what are they talking about tithing? What exactly were they doing? Because I can realize that's kind of a churchy word that maybe you don't get. That's just saying like, okay, everything I have, I have is a gift from God. So that 10% of that, it's just an Old Testament number, 10% of everything, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous with. So I'm going to keep 90%, but I'm going to continue to be faithful every month. So Brittany and I, the first check we cut is our tithe check. So 10% of everything I make, just goes immediately and I just give it to the church because I know the church, I trust the church, I know what we're going to do with that, we're going to bless people and it's like and I'm giving to the kingdom. So it's the first thing we do every month and then you can be generous in other ways as well but that's like something that, that we shoot for and if you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do 10%, try five bucks, right? Try trusting God with five dollars and saying, Lord, I just, I know I've been blessed so I want to trust you with this five bucks, right? Our journey started that way just like, just little by little, little steps of being like, Lord, I trust you and I want to do things that bless other people because that's how we're able to do as a church what we do to bless other people and reach people and care for people and all that good stuff, right? And our church then takes 10% of everything we have and we tithe that. So everything that comes in throughout a year, so everything that comes in through the tithes and offerings and stuff, we then turn around and we give 10% of it away. So we give thirty dollars to $40,000 away as a church every year to different people and organizations because we want to model generosity, right? Because that's what we do here. We've been doing that for a million years since Dean and Terry planted the church back in the 1800s, right? <laughs> Or something, like I don't know how long ago. It was something like that. But just to recap again, so um, let me jump to the uh, every action quote from James Clear, and then we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. So every action, we'll take a second on that. Here we go. Every action you take is a vote toward the person you'll become. Right? That's what we're talking about with financial peace. And the votes add up. It's not just one thing. You know, we can get there. It is possible. And the principles that we've looked at to just help us with this stuff, again, the money isn't ours. That's how I view it. I've just been blessed by God, and I want to manage it well and share it well. The second one is that 
wisdom and community are key, why we're doing Financial Peace University. Thirdly, is that you are more than your possessions, right? Don't be defined by your stuff. It's huge. And then last week we looked at Jesus talking money and how he wants us to have peace about it. And then this week again, is money the root of all evil? No. Greed is the root of all kinds of evil and the love of money and the obsession with it. And with it comes a lot of heartache and a lot of destruction in its wake. So like Paul implored Timothy, you know, live differently. Think differently about your money. So let's pray. Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, um, Jesus. Would you, would you give us a sense of doing it differently than the culture that we live in? Because it, it's hard. It's hard, Lord, to know the water we swim in and that, that it may not be the best water, Lord. And so I pray that we would listen to your words, see your wisdom, Jesus, and live with peace so that we can live and give with peace like no one else, Lord, that we can be a model for your love and your generosity through the way that we are with just something as simple and complicated as our money, Lord. Um, but we give it to you, Lord. We thank you did it on the cross. It gives us freedom for eternity. It gives us freedom in this life, Jesus Christ. Um, for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be one step closer to knowing you. Um, maybe they would take a step of faith to trust you as Savior today, Lord. And for those of us that know you as Savior, would you help us pattern our lives after you? Help us to not be normal. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. And his church said, amen. God bless you all. I love you. It's great being with you today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.